0: Okay, if you have a Bible or a phone, uh, open it up to Second Samuel, like chapter 14. We're going to do four chapters of the Bible today. Four and a half chapters. So it's going to be wild. If you didn't have coffee this morning, may the Lord help you. Because it's going to be a lot. Uh, I'm not going to do everything. We're looking at uh, David and Absalom. Okay, that's the relationship we're looking at today if you've been Uh, Not with us, Uh, we've been doing a series on the life of David, looking at David's different relationships with people, and today we're doing the relationship and the interactions David has with Absalom. Absalom is his son, Um, and I'll get into a bit of it now, but I just wanted to mention, I've I've read and reread and reread and lived in these chapters for a couple of weeks now, and I just wanted to, you know, put it out there as an advert for the Bible. Um, You know, many people these days don't read the Bible. Uh, or they don't read the Bible much. They sort of rely on a verse of the day that pops into your uh, inbox or on your phone or whatever else. and um, They don't read much of it, And especially the Old Testament, because that's just where God was in a bad mood, uh, and it's all just confusing and stuff like that. But the, 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 the Old Testament, man, it's, I, it, I have fallen more in love with God and the Old Testament again through the Life of David series. And if you think the Bible is boring, and that's why you don't read it, You have not read it. Just in these four chapters that we're going to look at today, there is murder. There is deception and trickery. There is unforgiveness. There's bitterness. There's mass rape. There's betrayal. There are assassinations. There's slander. There's pride. There's full-out war. There's unceremonial burials and a longer list. I don't have time to keep going. That doesn't sound very boring, does it? It sounds like, well, I've never watched Game of Thrones, but I mean, there's some of the stuff that people watch. It's, that's hectic, you know? And They think the Bible's boring and like, the Bible is not boring, guys. It, I mean, it's terrifying. You read some of the stuff, you're like, God, where are you in this? And we're going to get there. Um, but it is certainly not boring. I encourage you again to read. I have three points today that we're going to summarize out of the um, interactions and the relationship between David and Absalom. The first thing we're going to look at, because it's so much, and obviously as a father-son relationship, and we're covering quite a bit of stuff that goes down, and uh, we, I'm going to leave out most of it. And I encourage you, in your own time, to go and read those four chapters from 14 through to 18 uh, this afternoon. It won't take you super long, um, but I, I don't have to, we don't have time to read it all or to deal with all the stuff. I'm going to pull out three things that I think are... Uh, that this whole interaction and their relationship turns on and are really helpful for us this morning. The first thing is, if you're a note-taker, the first point is grace amnesia. Grace amnesia. Let me, let me fill you in on the, the story, uh, where we are. Uh, two weeks ago, where Dave picked it up, um, Absalom kills Amnon, his brother. If you remember, if you were here two weeks ago, uh, Amnon uh, r- rapes uh, Tamar, uh, who is you know sort of his sister's stepsister they're like all sort of, David had lots of kids kind of thing, so they're not all from the same parents kind of thing but um, Amnon rapes Tamar Absalom goes and and kills him uh, and once he kills him he f- he flees to a city called Geshur and he stays in Geshur for 3 years so so he kills his he kills his brother and then he and then he, he goes on the run And he stays there for three years, okay? So where you find him in the beginning of chapter uh, 14 is where we're sort of going to pick up things. Joab, you're going to have to pay attention a lot. Joab, you remember Joab, he's like David's right-hand man, commander of the armies. Joab, I don't know why, gets into his head that he wants Absalom to come back. So he goes and he concocts this plan. He finds this, uh, in the Bible calls it um, a wise woman of Tekoia. A wise woman of Tekoa, she pretends, she comes to David with some elaborate kind of story. Uh, It's not a true story. And seeking David's counsel. And basically what she's, she comes with a story about her sons and whatever else. And uh, David's listening. And I don't know if he knows if it's a real thing or not. But basically she's trying to trap David. Joab's put her up to this. She's trying to trap David to, to get him tripping over his own words. So that he goes easier on Absalom, essentially. That he forgives Absalom and everything is reconciled. And David smells a rat. He asks this lady, hey, who put you up to this? She says, yeah, it was Joab. Uh, and essentially, David relents. And I'm just going to dive in here because we have to cover so much. This is at 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 20. Joab, this is the lady saying, Joab, your servant has done this to address the issue indirectly. But my Lord has wisdom like the wisdom of the angel of God knowing everything on earth. Then the king, David, said to Joab, I hereby grant this request. Go back, bring the young man Absalom. Joab fell with his face to the ground in homage and blessed the king. Today, Joab said, Your servant knows that I found favor with you, my lord, the king, because the king has granted the request of your servant. So Joab got up, went to Geshur, and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. However, the king added, He may return to his house, but he may not see my face. So Absalom returned to his house, but he did not see the king. This is where I think this entire interaction turns on on what you see happening here and how David treats uh, Absalom. It's like a partial pardon. You can come back to the city. You can come back to Jerusalem. You can come back to your house, but you won't see my face. We'll have nothing to do with each other. The relationship will be restored, but not. And Absalom doesn't really know where he stands. He's like, okay, well, I'm allowed to come back to Jerusalem. I'm allowed to come back to my house, but then I never get to see the king. I never get to see my dad. Am I forgiven or not? You read in 2 Samuel 14 verse 28, Absalom resided in Jerusalem two years, but never saw the king. So now, if you're good at maths, we're now on five years. Three years in Geshur, two years in Jerusalem, not a word spoken between David uh, and Absalom after Absalom has killed David's other son, Amnon. Absalom isn't impressed with this arrangement. He's not impressed. He's, he's, He's in his home. He's basically, he's not under house arrest. He can move around, but he's there, but he doesn't know where he stands. So he decides to get Joab's attention because Joab has the ear of David the king. And he does it in a brilliant way. He, he calls Job a few times, and Job just like blue ticks him. He says, like, now I'm busy, kind of thing. Jo- Job gets his guys to set fire. Uh, and Absalom gets his guys to set fire to Job's field <laughs> to get his attention. How cool is that? I mean, I just thought it was an interesting way to get someone's attention. And anyway, uh, he does get his attention. And in 2 Samuel 14, in 32, Verse 32, we pick it up again. Look, Absalom explained to Job, I sent for you and said, come here. I want to send you to the king to ask, why have I come back from Geshur? I'd be better off if I was still there. So now let him, let me see the king. If I'm guilty, let him kill me. Job went to the king and told him. So David summoned Absalom who came to the king and paid homage with his face to the ground before him. Then the king kissed Absalom. That's it. That's all you hear. Everything from that moment onwards is Absalom hatching a plan to take over the kingdom from his father. From that moment onwards, everything else you read in the scriptures, the next four years we'll look at it of Absalom's life. He's hatching a plan to to uh, basically a coup, a revolt against his dad. Because David doesn't really deal with this. He doesn't deal with it. I call this point grace, amnesia. Because I honestly think that all the mess that happened between David and Absalom could have been averted if David had handled the situation differently. If David had handled the situation differently. If David didn't have grace amnesia. Because he he doesn't really forgive him. He doesn't really reconcile. Have you ever been in a relationship like that where you know you've done something wrong and you sort of reconcile, but it's not quite the same? You're like forgiven, but you don't really know where you stand. If you see the person at the shops, it's always awkward. You avoid them, eye contact, whatever. Maybe, you know, I'm pressing too hard here. Um, you're in that, one of those. Da- David doesn't quite allow Absalom to know exactly where he stands. And the most grievous thing about this, some people, when you read some commentaries, they reckon this is the worst thing that David ever did. I'm like, seriously? The worst thing? This is why they argue that it's the worst thing he ever did. Because think back a few weeks to what David, the journey David's been on. Remember Bathsheba? Remember Uriah? Remember the mess he created? The the, the murders that he commissioned? The rape he was involved with? And what did the Lord show David? Grace. Undeserved mercy. Spared his life spared his life, and the life of his son was taken instead. God spared his life. He showed him extravagant grace. And then when it becomes time for David to do the same, he withholds the very grace that his own son needs. And he treats Absalom a bit like a leper. And I think that's what sets Absalom off and destabilizes the entire kingdom and eventually leads to Absalom's death and more suffering for David. David had grace, amnesia. He was happy to receive it and slow to dispense it. And we're pretty much like him. Eh? We desire mercy for ourselves and justice for others. That's just our default setting. Before we move on to the next point, I want to press on this a little bit with us. Because David is not only in, there to teach us as an example in both the good and the bad. His Life is there to challenge us. I want to ask you this morning, who has your grace run out for? Who has your grace run out for? You've received grace, grace upon grace. But who this morning, as you such this morning, has your grace run out for? They need to work their way back into your good books. You are done with them. You've washed your hands of them. Who has your grace run out for? Because when our grace runs out for people, the remedy for us is to go back to the place and sit at the Lord's feet and meditate on the richness of his grace for us. That's the only thing that gets us extending grace again to others. But this story challenges us that your grace can run out for others. I want to press into your heart this morning and ask the Lord to do that. To press. Who has your grace run out for? As I was preparing this, the Lord I help me to see things in my own life and burden me with some, yeah, just senses for some people that some of you, it's the people, some of them are close to you, very close to you. It's strange how our grace runs out for people the closest to us, family, friends, colleagues, grace running out. If your grace has run out this morning, I want to encourage you that you don't leave this morning before you deal with that. You ask the Lord to give you more grace, new grace, fresh grace for somebody else. Where your grace has run out for them? As we're standing here in worship, I had that phrase because I know it's coming in the sermon. And Who's your grace run out for? I have a sense that some of us feel like you're battling to be here this morning because you feel like God's grace has run out for you. You're not so worried about everybody else, but you feel like you've shot all your bullets. You're done. All your chances are done. You feel the weight of guilt and shame and regret again this morning. You feel like God's grace has run out for you. And I'm here again this morning, like most mornings, to remind you that God's grace never runs out. It doesn't run out. It's a lie from the pit of hell that God's grace runs out for you guys. It's a lie from the pit of hell. There is fresh grace for you again this morning. That's the mercy and the wonder of the gospel. That's the first thing you see, David, the grace amnesiac. The second thing you see, if you're making notes, is betrayal betrayal. Absalom hatches this grand plan. This is how he does it. He uh, he starts to intercept the people. The people would come from all over the country to consult David and his other leaders to get a decision um, from him, like a judgment almost, if you want. Uh, and Absalom positions himself out on the road and he in- intercepts the people who are coming. And he basically spins the story. He says, look, David doesn't really have time to deal with all of this. Uh, wouldn't it wouldn't be great if Somebody appointed me as a judge. Look, I have time. I'm here. I'm here to help kind of thing. I'm here to help. Pick me, coach. You know, I, I'm, I'll listen to your story. David, he's too busy. You need a, you need a leader like me, not that guy. He's too busy. You need, I'm your guy. I'm your guy. And, and they realize who he is. Absalom, it's the son of the king. So we'll read it here. They come to pay homage to him. They, the standard thing is like yeah, bowing. You know, like when you go and meet the queen. I don't know what you're supposed to. Well, well the king now. Sorry, Queenie. Uh, look, she was around for a while. That's an honest mistake. It's going to take us a while to get used to the king. Uh, not that anyone's going to meet him, but there's all this decorum of what you're supposed to do and bow and curtsy and whatever else. It's the same thing, yeah. And, and Absalom, Absalom understands people, and he lowers himself. He says, no, 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 don't do that. As they come, he's holding their hands, lifting them up. We're going to read it now. But I want, to, I want you to understand that He's trying to make himself and identify with them. He says, I'm, I'm, like, I'm your guy. Let's read it here. 2 Samuel from chapter 15. Absalom says to one of these guys coming on the road, Look, your claims are good and right, but the king doesn't have, uh, doesn't have anyone to listen to you. He added, If only someone would appoint me judge in the land, then anyone who had a grievance or dispute could come to me, and I would make sure he received justice. He sounds like a politician, doesn't he? Huh? <laughs> Vote for me, and I'll get it done. I have zero faith in politicians, so just let that slide. Verse 5, when a person approached him, uh, approached to pay homage to him, Absalom reached out his hand, took hold of him, and kissed him. Absalom did this to all the Israelites who came to the king for a settlement. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He does this for four years, standing out on the road intercepting people coming to David. And what does the Bible say? He says he steals away their hearts. He steals away their hearts. They start to love Absalom. He cuts off connection and relationship with David. And he betrays his dad. He goes to King David and says that, look, I need to go and fulfill a vow that I made. um, And I need to go to Hebron. David says, fine, you can go. He goes to Hebron. And while he's on his way to Hebron, Absalom sends messages throughout the country. He says, when you hear the ram's horn sounded in Hebron, you know that Absalom has been made king in Hebron. Remember David was made king in Hebron? Absalom is now making himself king in Hebron. When you hear that sound, gather all the people to me. And David sends, Absalom sends for Ahithophel. Do you remember Ahithophel? I don't expect you to remember all of these names. Ahithophel was David's closest advisor and Bathsheba's grandpa. You remember that? David's closest advisor, Bathsheba's grandpa, Absalom sends for Ahithophel, and he goes. So now you have this scenario that in Hebron you have David's son and his closest advisor plotting against him. They're plotting against him. This is out-and-out betrayal. Second Samuel fifteen verse thirteen, news comes to David. Verse thirteen. Then an informer came to David and reported, "The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom." He stole their hearts. The hearts are with, them. they're with Absalom. They're not with you, David. They've done a good job in betraying you, in turning the people against you. It gets worse though. Not only are the people's hearts with Absalom, Ahithophel advises Absalom to do what? David had left, he's on the run again, taken most of his family, but he leaves ten concubines in the city. And Ahithophel advises Absalom, he says, hey, go and sleep with your father's concubines. Go and sleep with them. That is a power grab. That's an active show of defiance. And it's a fulfillment of prophecy if you've been paying attention. Remember the Lord said when David sinned with Bathsheba, he says, this is going to happen. And I, you did it in, in, in secret, I'm going to do it in the light. And when you read the account, Absalom sleeps. They make a tent on the top of the kind of roof, and he sleeps with Absalom's concubines in the sight of all of the people to fulfill what the Lord had said would happen. Now you've got Absalom's, David's closest advisor, advising his son to sleep with his concubines and shame him in front of the people there. Second Samuel 15. From verse 31, then someone reported to David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Lord, David pleaded, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. That's all David prays about this. Guys, betrayal hurts. Betrayal hurts, and it hurt, it hurt David. It hurt David, and you, I'm going to read Psalm 55 in a second, because Psalm fifty-five, Second um, 2 Samuel tells you what happened. And Psalm 55, is David telling you what was going on in his heart while all this was happening. It's an amazing psalm to read when you read the second Samuel, because it gives you insight and window. And part of what David says in Psalm 55, he says, hey, if it was an enemy of mine doing this to me, that would be a different story. But this is my closest friends doing this to me. I, I don't want to rush over this and not assume that we find us, some of us find ourselves in this story. That you dealing this morning was still with the lingering effects and the hurt of betrayal from people closest to you. You thought they would always be around. You thought they would always be consistent, love you, do whatever else, and they have turned. They have betrayed you, stabbed you in the back, done whatever, left you. Betrayal hurts, and it hurts the closer the people are to you. But what do you see with David? This is the point I want to belabor. What do you see with David when he's betrayed? He doesn't turn away from the Lord. He turns toward the Lord. Our natural inclination when people betray us or you go through these things like this is to turn away from the Lord, to sulk with the Lord, to say, well, I mean, if you're in charge of everything, why on earth are you allowing this to happen to me? We sulk with God. David is a wonderful example of what our hearts need to do. And I'm going to read Psalm 55 now. You're going to see how his heart turns to the Lord. Let's read it together. God, listen to my prayer and do not hide from my plea for help. Pay attention to me and answer me. I'm restless and in turmoil with my complaint because of the enemy's words, because of the pressure of the wicked, for they bring down disaster on me and harass me in anger. My heart shudders within me. Terrors of death sweep over me. Fear and trembling grip me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, if only I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and find rest. How far away I would flee. I would stay in the wilderness. I would hurry to my shelter from the raging wind and the storm. Lord, confuse and confound their speech, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they make grounds on its walls. Crime and trouble are within it. Destruction is inside it. Oppression and deceit never leaves its marketplace. Now it's not an enemy who insults me, otherwise I could bear it. It's not a foe who rises up against me, otherwise otherwise I could hide from him. But it is you, a man who is my peer, my companion and good friend. We used to have close fellowship, we walked with a crowd into the house of God. Let death take them by surprise. Let them go down to Sheol alive because evil is in their homes and within them. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. I complain and groan morning, noon, and night, and he hears my voice. Though many are against me, he will redeem me from my battle unharmed. God, the one enthroned from long ago, will hear and will humiliate them because they do not change and do not fear God. My friend acts violently against those at peace with him. He violates his covenant. His buttery words are smooth, but war is in his heart. His words are softer than oil, but they are drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. God, you will bring them down to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and treachery will not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. What do you do with the sting of betrayal? That's a question that I want you to ask yourself. What do you do with the sting of betrayal? With, with what is going on in your, what has been or is going on still now? If you have not faced this, or you, you, maybe you will. What, what do you do with that sting of betrayal? What does David, what does David do here? He, he trusts in the Lord. Have a look. There's a few things I want us to just pick out quickly from the Psalm 55. Verse 22, he says, cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. It's a wonderful advice, isn't it? Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. When you're going through whatever it is, that's the instruction. Cast your burden on the Lord. He's the one strong enough to carry it and to help you and carry you through it. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Second thing I think you should do is speak honestly with God. If you've been betrayed or let down by people, it is a very healthy practice to get very honest with God. That's an honest song we just read there, isn't it? God bring them down to Hades, heap these things on their heads, you know? It's in the Bible. Have you ever written a psalm like that? Yeah, good. <laughs> There's at least one of them is honest amongst us. Yeah, it's there in the Bible for what reason? Because I think God's big enough to invite our shaking our fist at him and at others. Because if it's going on in your heart and you ignore it and you pretend that you're actually fine, you're not, and you delay healing, and here you have David, he's just like, yeah, ah, these eggs want to kill me, hey, Lord, would you just take them out, take them out, wipe them off the planet, Duh! but I want to trust in you. The Lord actually does what David asks, which, you know, is another sermon for another day, um, but the point I want to make is that to speak honestly with God about what's going on in your heart is a biblical and healthy thing. To pretend that you are feeling emotions, that you are experiencing things when people have hurt you and life has been thrown at you, and to be this like stiff upper lip, I'm okay. You're not okay. You're not a- Some of you are here this morning and you're not okay. And your first step is what? To tell God that you're not Okay. Just to tell him, in whatever words you find, to tell him, you know, I'm not okay. I'm not okay, and and I'm not okay because you. It's because of you that I'm not okay. God's not going to go off and cry and sulk in the corner. He's not going to strike you with lightning. It didn't happen to David. It won't happen to you. God already knows what you're thinking and feeling. It's for your help and for your healing that you get honest with God. You cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. And how does that psalm end? It's amazing. David just pours out all of this um, venting. And that last line, you should tattoo on your arm somewhere. But I will trust in you. Get it. Go and get one. I will trust in you. You're like, you go first, buddy. I would, but they saw. I'm a wuss. You're distracting me. Stop laughing at my lame sidetracks. I will trust in you, he says. David could do a few other things. But he realizes you can't control everything. He's on the run again. He's back in the wilderness again, where he spent year after year. He's on the run. His son's trying to kill him. His best friend's bailed on him. The hearts of all the people have turned, gone with his son. What are you going to do, David? What are you going to do, bad? But I will trust in you. Guys, when you don't know what's going to happen, I will trust in you. That's what faith is. God. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen in the world, in my life, in South Africa. I will trust in you. That is a a battle cry of astounding faith. God, I don't know how this is going to turn out. This is not, it's not all resolved when David writes Psalm 55. It's not all tied up with a bow on it. He's in the wilderness. He's still running for his life. But I will trust in you. It's really important that you pour out this kind of stuff that's in you. Because here's another point. God can heal hearts from betrayal. God can heal your heart from betrayal. Fast forwarding in the story. Come with me to 2 Samuel chapter 18 verse 4. David flees. Takes his whole army with him. A convoluted set of events happen and Absalom's whole army go after David. You've got two big armies now. David sends his men out to war. This is the instruction that he gives his men as they go out to war. 2 Samuel 18 verse 4. So he stood beside the city gate while all the troops marched out by hundreds and thousands. The king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, his three commanders of the thirds of the armies, treat the young man Absalom gently for my sake. Treat the young man, Absalom, gently for my sake. Absalom is murdered by Joab in the battle, gets tossed in a grave. Word comes back to David that Absalom is dead. 2 Samuel 18, verse 33, the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber above the city gate and wept. As he walked, he cried, my son, Absalom. My son, my son, Absalom. If only I had died instead of you, Absalom, my son, my son. Those don't sound like the words of somebody who's still bitter and twisted. God is able to repair betrayal and do something in the hearts of men and women that when Absalom dies, David is absolutely devastated. And even when they go into war, he's like, hey, guys, just leave Absalom alone. Don't take him out. I know he's coming after me, but just deal gently with him. How did David get to that point? I think the Lord did a wonderful work in his heart, helped him move past that betrayal. Guys, it can happen. Reconciliation with people maybe doesn't always happen. It didn't happen for them. You may not become besties for the resties with whoever betrayed you and stuff. But something will happen in your heart. And God can do amazing things. That when you hear of calamity coming upon them, those words of, of David's are just, they're just so rich with emotion, aren't they? My son, Absalom, my son, my son, if only I had died instead of you, Absalom, my son, my son. David has moved past betrayal and now he's lost another son. He's heartbroken. I want you to hold forth hope that God can do something something in your own heart and life and help you move past the hurt of betrayal. The last thing I want us to see here is sovereign grace. Sovereign grace. It when you read these four chapters and you look at the accounts of what's happening with uh, David and Absalom. It looks like an absolute mess. And it is. It has all those things that I spoke about at the beginning. Murder, assassinations, rape, all this kind of stuff I've left up. A lot of the gory stuff. There's just um, It's an absolute mess. And it kind of looks like when you read it. Like, like God has taken leave. That, that's what it feels like when you read it. It's like, what is going on here? Like God had these grand plans for these people and for this nation. And then they sort of lost their way. And God was like, oh dear. Okay, well, I'm just going to let this play out, but I'm going to go and I'm going to go wait over here while you guys just let this run its course kind of thing. It looks like God isn't involved at all in the mess. But he is. And in 2 Samuel 17, verse 14, you read this, um, there's this amazing line that we need to bank here because understanding sovereign grace is so radically important for us. Verse 14, Since the Lord had decreed, that Ahithophel's good advice be undermined in order to bring about Absalom's ruin. Absalom and all the men of Israel said the advice of Hushai the, Arch- the Archite is better than Ahithophel's advice. What happened here is that David had bumped into his old friend Hushai as he was fleeing and he sent Hushai to Jerusalem and said, Go and serve Absalom. You were serving me, go and serve Absalom. Stay there. And um, what happens is Ahithophel provides advice. Um, to Absalom and basically his advice is this send me with a whole bunch of guys I'll go find David and I'll whack him I'll get the job done I can go now before they get too far away and initially when Ahithophel says that they're all like seems like a good idea let's do that then they ask Hushai hey Hushai what should what should we do Hushai gives different advice he says no 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 David's far more cunningness he's a warrior he knows what he's doing You should go, Absalom, and you should gather an army from all over the nation and go. And basically slows down the progress of Absalom to go pursue David. Manages to get word out to David who's on the run that, hey, they're coming for you. Don't stop. Because they had stopped. They said, don't stop. Keep moving. Head to the city for refuge there. And they do. And it spares David and everyone who's with him's lives going. But the point I want to make here is that in verse 14 it says, since the Lord had decreed. That Ahithophel's good advice be undermined. And they go with Hushai's advice. Who decreed this? The Lord decreed it. It looks like he's on leave, doesn't it? He's not. He's, he's, he's orchestrating everything here to spare David and those who are with him. And bring Absalom's life to ruin. David doesn't know this. David, David doesn't have a window on this. He's just trusting the Lord, but he's on the run Here's the point I want you to understand that God has your back even when you don't know about it. That's the mystery and the wonder of sovereign grace. That maybe this morning your life feels a bit like a mess. And you're struggling to discern the fingerprints of God in your life. What is he doing? It just feels like you're in a washing machine. Either with your own sin struggles, with your finances, with your health, your work family, whatever. You might be in the worship and you can't discern, God, what on earth are you doing? I'm not saying we can always see it. I don't think David saw it. The point I want to re-emphasize is that God is always involved and he always has your back even when he's not letting you see what he's up to. Let's close this by praying together. I... I've covered probably what should have been three separate sermons, maybe. But I want us to spend time sitting before the Lord before we rush into the rest of a Sunday. And I want to re-ask you the questions I asked you earlier. Who has your grace run out for? And who of you are feeling like God's grace has run out for you? Do you camp on that? For some of you, and I don't want to make light of this at all, that the, the, the hurt and the sting of betrayal is still it's still so raw. It's still there. If I mention the person's name, if they wandered in here, it would all just come back again. Because these aren't magical things God waves. a wand over our lives and then we're fine. We make multiple swings at progress that God helps and heals and moves our hearts forward. And I'll pray that uh, He does that again for you this morning. And to just trust in Him. To, to take those words of David, but I will trust in Him. I'll trust in Him. When you can't see what uh, make sense of what's happening in your life at the moment that we trust in Him. So let's let's pray together as we close this. Father, you're the God whose grace never um, never runs out for us, and we worship you for that this morning. Thank you that there was fresh grace for us today, and that we know with 100% confidence that tomorrow there'll be more grace, and the day after that, and every other day, until you either call for us or you come for us thinking that we can't outsin your grace, we can't earn it, because it's the free gift of your love for us. And we pray for ourselves this morning, and pray for my friends, those who are needing new awareness of grace this morning, that you would come and pour that out upon them in absolute abundance. Remind them again of the truth that your grace doesn't run out, that it's it's fresh and it's sufficient for them today. And would you convict us afresh where there's people that our grace has run out for? As you bring their, their faces into our minds now, and the Holy Spirit alerts us and awakens us, would you give us grace again? To extend the grace that we've been shown and received. We want to be so mindful to follow your word that says that we shouldn't allow any bitter root to grow up within us. And so, Lord, would you do some weeding in our hearts this morning and, and, and pull out those roots of bitterness that we have been careless to let um, sprout in our hearts, either from things that people have done or said or not done or whatever it is that we're just holding on to something. Would you would you come now, Holy Spirit, and uproot those little shoots of bitterness in us? And keep the, the heart of our the soil of our hearts just um, tender before you this morning. And I pray for those who are still struggling with the hurt of betrayal. The things not panning out how they want it from just disappointment and rejection from those closest to them. Would you know how much grace they need from you this